Welcome to Staffing in Sync, panel conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues. I'm your co-host, Charles Epstein for SyncStream, leaders in ACA, ERC, and WOTC compliance automation for the staffing industry. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Kosnick, president of the Vices Group and the staffing industry's leading expert. Hey, Tom. Hello, Charles. Yes, straight out of Austin today, I understand. I am, I am. Excellent. Catch some blues and barbecue tonight. <laughs> Good idea. You're in the right place. Anyway, uh, today's panel cast is titled Accelerating the Performance of Your New Hires. I just want to take a moment to mention last, last month's panel cast, Top Gun Recruiting or Job Boards Still the Answer, which turned into a really robust 60-minute discussion if you haven't had a chance uh, highly recommended uh and uh, please visit the staffing and sync youtube channel to check it out but later not now you need to be watching this because you don't want to miss what we've got in store for you today speaking of which tom yes uh, last week's panel was great i would encourage everybody to uh attend uh, the stream stream it online if you haven't haven't seen it and today's topic uh, i want to thank SyncStream for producing this series and our co-sponsor essential staff care largest writer of employee health insurance and benefits to the to the staffing industry so accelerating the performance of your new hire super excited to have our panel cast with us um, uh, there's no doubt that the staffing leaders want to accelerate the productivity of new hires, but the real question that all of us here and a lot of our uh, associates in the staffing industry know, the question is how. The data on employee engagement surveys and exit survey suggest, and this includes staffing companies, we do not have it right. So today we're going to discuss with these wonderful leaders in the staffing industry on how to start the productivity of their new team members and to fully engage them within their organization. Excellent. Uh, you know, Tom, before we introduce today's cast, I just want to remind our listeners that we hold these panel casts on the second Tuesday of every month, focusing on a different topic with a different panel to share real-world experiences, insights, and perspectives re related to all aspects of staffing. So by all means, mark it on your calendars. Tom? Yes, let's uh, let me introduce our, our panel our panel cast here. Ms. Michelle Harbour Cook. She is 11 years with Terra Staffing as the executive price of the executive vice president. Listen to this: branch manager to area manager to director of strategic accounts to vice president to executive vice. I'm I am so impressed. A little humbled by all that. that I've been there uh, a while. <laughs> Yeah, 11 years. Fantastic. So I've known Tara now through the, the CRO roundtable that we facilitate. And uh, and guys on the call, yeah, you're up against it, man. She is a Wolverine, a University of Michigan <laughs> graduate. Uh, and, and outside of taking care of those two wonderful children of hers, she uh, volunteers for the Rest Toys, Toy Rescue Mission in the YMCA. Michelle, not, uh, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. And uh, Mark Winter, 20 years in the industry, and Mark has worked everything from a lowly door-knocking sales guy all the way up to uh, vice president, listen to this, of a $2.5 billion publicly traded company. 
So excited to have Mark here with us. And Mark, oh my gosh, this was too difficult for me to do. I went and got an organizational development degree. Is a is a Six Sigma black belt. Congratulations on that. I, I, I know all the work that it takes to, to, to get that. And he holds multiple certifications from sales training organizations. So Mark loves to travel because he's got four kids that can encourage him to, to travel. And uh, he and, and Mark and myself, actually, we uh, we both work with nonprofit uh, organization and uh, Mark also uh, emergency food network in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So, Mark, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Let's see our third panelist panel guest, Brandon Blanton, vice president of national client service operations at Integrity Staffing. Integrity's got a great name in the industry. I was so excited to have have uh, Brandon join us 16 years. Boy, you are well above the average for, for sure. uh, somebody <laughs> at, a, at a staffing company. And uh, why, why I'm excited to have Brandon here. He touches the client services side of the business. He touches the operational team side of the business. He touches the key and strategic account. So he's touching multiple teams within uh, integrity. Uh, and so really excited to uh, have him here and, and gain from some of his wisdom. He's got a wonderful, uh, wonderful three kids at home. And uh, when I asked him about volunteering, he said uh, coaching, ba coaching baseball is about <laughs> the extent of my volunteering. So Brandon, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Marshall McLeod, Business Development Manager with Hire Heroes USA. So uh, Brandon is uh, comes from a client centric approach focused on collaborate collaborating with internal and external partners to identify potential employment partners who recruiting needs and goals aligned with higher heroes job seeking client career interests and preferences and uh, a military man military background uh, 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 Marshall uh, volunteers for Tr uh, Tristan's quest and the boy scouts of america i'm big uh enjoyed it my, my son's an eagle scout marshall so we've got something in common there and if that's not keeping him uh challenged enough he's got three wonderful kids and a brand new baby girl congratulations marshall thank you thank you glad to be here and uh, glad to see what kind of value i can add here as well with those sleepless nights <laughs> Anyway, yeah, looking forward to this and a shout out uh, to you, Tom. This is, I believe, our fourth panel cast and uh, you uh, are really great at blending uh, the participants uh, and helping create these really robust conversations. Um, and I should say, we usually have three panelists, but word's getting out, Tom. And it everybody is. wants it in. So yes, yeah, so today is our first SRO, standing room only panel cast you know four we can manage five we may have to go to a two-parter may, may have to do a double header let's play two as the great ernie banks would say um as long uh, as there's stemming, stemming innings yes pandering a little <laughs> bit uh, to your uh, uh chicago roots uh, tom anyway a few words on the ground rules uh during the panel discussion attendees are welcome to post questions in the chat we'll select several to pose to the panelists in the 10-minute q a following the panel discussion time permitting. Uh, and Tom, I know you want to say a few uh, words to set the stage for today's conversation. Hey, yeah, just real quick. Uh, and, and all my clients, first off, this has been a topic that has come up in our, our roundtables for multiple years in a row. How do we accelerate the, the performance of our new hires? But gosh, I mean, what are we, 3.7% unemployment rate? 
we, we're, we're still we're still at 4.2 million quits a month. Uh, the industrial psychologists tell us we've got a 90-day window. Imagine that. A 90-day window where if you're a sales guy, you've got to get money in that guy's pocket. Uh, a 90-day winner, winner, uh, window where we've got to win the heart, the mind, and the hearts of our new employees to get them attached to the organization. These young managers, I mean, uh, thank God I have my own practice. <laughs> I don't have to manage anybody. I don't think it's ever been this challenging, Charles, uh, of, of hiring, attracting, and then once they're in the door, how do we accelerate their performance? We have never been this challenged before. Excited to have these guys with us and uh, and the questions too, yeah. uh, along with their wisdom and responses. Yeah, it's interesting. The issue of retention, if there's any through line in these four panel casts we've done thus far, it's that topic retention they all touch on that at some point anyway okay panelists i hope you're all buckled in and ready to go um i'm going to ask uh two panelists to answer each question then at the end you can all chime in it'll be a free-for-all and we'll try to police that as best we can any case uh the first one goes to mark and michelle um we will um, get into some deeper topics in a minute, but first let me ask you, do you have any handy tips, ideas, suggestions to accelerate the performance of new hires? And by tips, I mean practical things that somebody listening could do today or at least uh, tomorrow. And, and by the way, the others could weigh in on this one uh, uh, too, because we'll just go around the horn and then we'll get to the uh, two, two panelists per question uh, theme going forward. Um, Mark, you want to uh, begin this, please? Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll um, I'll give a couple practical tips. Uh, I think the first one is if you have anybody right now that's sitting in front of some kind of e-learning platform, go pull them up out of their chair and pull them away from that screen and put them in front of a customer. Uh, that's that's the first step because uh, there's uh, I know that the e-learning stuff has to be done, but that's not where culture is built. That's not where new hires fall in love with companies. Nobody's fallen in love with a company from the other side of a screen. Doesn't happen. So uh, that's number one. Number two is um, set clear expectations right out of the gate. You know, I think about like the the first ninety days. That's the honeymoon period. So um, make sure the rules of engagement are clear. That's probably the best you're going to get is the first ninety days. That's when people are most charged up, most enthused. So make sure those expectations are clear. And the last one before I turn it over, to Michelle, I think. Um, Leaders need to think about where they're spending their time. Oftentimes, we um, we acquiesce to the lowest uh, performer because we don't want to have made a poor hiring decision. When really, we should we should treat new hires like we treat investments. You invest your time like you're going to invest your money, where you're going to get the best return. So look at your new hires. Think about who's going to provide the best possible return, and make sure you're spending your time there and not blowing it on the the folks that are coming in handicapped. Yeah, the Michelle. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think going back to what Tom said, those first 90 days, you gotta get money in their pocket. Um, and so for us, the big focus is where can that person add value in the first 90 days? So like Mark said, don't put them in front of e-learning, figure out what is the special ability or talent they bring? What value can they add in that position? Um, for us, we really put a focus on getting people on the phone the first day. So getting over that that training to perfection and getting them applying their skill right away, getting them kind of over the hump of that fear that they might have. So get them, get them on the phone the first day, get them in front of clients as quickly as you possibly can. Um, much to what Mark said, we have a 30, 60, 90 day success 
um, calibration calendar for everybody. So whatever position you're coming in, you know where you should be in 30, 60, 90 days. And then we're training to that. Um, so I think if you are using e-learning, great, but make sure that you're giving the training and there's practical application mm -hmm. immediately that they're putting that skill and that training to use as quickly as possible. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Brandon? I mean, I think it even starts with the interview process, right? It's, uh, you know, the communication we had with our folks when we first uh, uh, encounter them and uh, and are really trying to sell the job that we have to them when they are re really a kid in the candy store with a lot of things available to them across, uh, you know, right across the street or literally as they sit there, you know, they're, they're going to pop up for a, another job opportunity literally on their phone while they're talking to you. So how do we not just have world class on the wall? Uh, but we we really breathe it into everything that we do. Um, I think it comes with it and then it's the follow through, right? It's, it's you know, how do you drive brand loyalty? It's when things, you know, go as planned and as expected. And I think that's, uh, you know, so basic, but I think it's lost on how fast we often move day to day. Uh, we also try to hire right, what's right in front of it. Always, it's the right now versus the what's the right fit and backing through that. And I think, you know, uh, we, we set agreements uh, with our employment employees. Um, we talk about the benefit uh, and measure and the actions that come along with it. That's everything from setting up their goals to the activities, the, how we communicate with one another. We're going to have our one-on-ones. We're going to we're going to have that undivided attention. We're going to focus on each other. It's going to be a two-way conversation. Uh, and also just how do you incorporate the behavior of your culture and also the value. And I think those things to really follow through sound so basic, but man, they're a lost start in today's today's world for sure. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Marshall, I'm gonna leave it to you to take us uh, across the finish line on this one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, offering purposeful incentives, right? So, and I, the easy way to look at it is, you know, um, asking that producer to meet some sort of metric. Well, as long as it doesn't threaten the production indicator of some something that uh, isn't necessarily measured. Easy example, obviously, is the the quantity over quality. And then the final big one, and I think everybody kind of hit on so many things, but to engage that employee or that producer, that team member uh, directly, oftentimes having that maybe senior leadership or highest rank, higher ranking individual, so to speak, uh, come in and have that conversation, that one-on-one -on -one that Brandon just spoke about, uh, and really determine what do they need. And it may be PTO, it may be money, it may be training. You know, Look at what that is before we start that rewarding or that uh, purposeful incentive piece. Yeah. Uh, Tom, any uh, thoughts on this? No, a lot of, a lot of fantastic, a lot of fantastic ideas. Uh, great. Okay. So uh, second question, this one goes to Brandon and Mark. Do you have a process or methodology that takes a producer from zero to 500 K gross profit production in a certain time frame? If no, why not? If yes, can you tell us a little bit about that methodology? Brandon? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think ultimately it starts with the framework that you have with your organization. Uh, what are you looking at from a, a vision and from a growth uh, strategy perspective? And then you align the, that uh, methodology with the individuals that you're hiring on your team. Um, I think that's important. It's the flywheel. Method. Obviously, we're all pushing in the right direction and we're we're making sure that we're not pushing against one another with different, uh, you know, different focuses, if you will. Uh, I think a comprehensive strategy you know, when you're dealing with this, you're dealing with sales, marketing, finance, recruiting ops, there's a lot of different divisions and you've got to really come together for us. We call it one integrity. We're working as one uh, in, in this synergistic relationship to be able to also support those employees. Um, I think uh, those internal agreements that I even talked about, both from the employee standpoint um, and then that follow up that Marshall was talking about, it also applies to even, you know, what type of businesses to target. You know, uh, for us, you know, a, a competition in a physical market against the overall market share. Uh, we're going after smaller clients uh, to increase their base. But first, we, you know, make sure that there's growth opportunity there. What is our what's our selection process? 
Um, I think ultimately too, also is, uh, you know, what are our offerings? Like again, to what, what are, what, what are we providing from a value prop? What education are we providing our clients to, uh, to be able to set them apart from a, a very, very heavy populated timeframe. And then last but not least, I would say at the end of the day, you know, um, our, our strategy also in, in segmentation, uh, you know, you'll have salespeople uh, they are generally better at some things than others. Uh, but for us, I think if it's, you know, how do we put them in their best spot, as Michelle said earlier, to shine and to be able to do what they do without, uh, you know, kind of hamstringing them along the way, too. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Uh, Mark. Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you two frameworks, one from the company perspective, one from the individual's perspective. So from the company perspective, I think it starts with benchmarks, having good numbers, knowing your numbers. So um, when I bring somebody in, I already know how many dials they have to make or how many cold calls they have to make uh, in order to get them started on the right foot. And so for some period of time, we focus on pulling the quantity lever. And I say some period of time because frankly, it's different for different candidates, different people. Um, over time, over let's call it 90 days, we switch to the quality lever. But for that first 90 days, we're focused on hit the benchmarks, exceed the benchmarks, focus on quantity, uh, because what we're doing during that period is creating good habits that will carry through the rest of their time there. Then once they've proven themselves, we can switch them over to the quality measure, which is um, making sure that they're getting better at who they're calling, what they're saying, how they're interacting, closing deals faster. Uh, but I think that gets missed so often. Focus on the quantity first, quality second. Uh, so that's that's the company metrics now now or the company process, and it starts. Remember, it starts with benchmarks. For the individual, um, as far as the the kickoff process for the individual, I think of it in a, a four week block. So when an individual starts with the company, week one is all around uh, mission, vision, values. Help me fall in love with the company fast. Week two is show me how my role connects to the rest of the organization. Where do I plug in? How do I get fulfillment out of my role? And, and who do I know in the company? So as an example, in, in week two, one of the things that I would normally have people do is create their own hierarchy chart. I have them start with a blank page. That way they get to know people in the organization. Uh, and the reason for that is it's so important for people to have someone to connect with in the organization that they can get answers from. I'll talk about I'll talk more about that later. But yeah, we want to connecting, talk about connect, that. Yeah. Connecting them to the company is is so key. Then uh, what's my job and how do I do it? And then let me go do it with some guidance and coaching. So I think about it in those steps. And if you and if you kick off that way, then um, the employees are engaged. They know what's expected of them, and they're probably doing it. Yes. Hey, Charles, just a quick, a, a quick thought. As you guys know, I do a lot of compensation analysis, a lot of compensation redesign. Uh, but uh, Mark, one of the things that you mentioned about getting them focused on performance metrics and whatnot, uh, I, you, this is a great idea. For new hires, have a four month, four to six month comp plan that is a base salary plus a monthly performance metric. You hit your metrics, you get 500 bucks or something like that. Yeah. You can do it on a graduated scale. But what it does is do, do two things. One, it gets money in their pocket month one. Number mm -hmm. two, it gets them doing the things that you know they need to do in order to succeed. Yeah. Uh, that's a quick idea, but I, I, I've got a, I've got a follow up question, and 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 Michelle might be able to jump in, and, and Marshall as well. Um, I'm always surprised uh, the with sales managers that do not have any kind of a ramp up chart. In other words, at three months, I should be at a hundred thousand dollars in gross profit production at 
nine months, I should be at 150. There's no, uh, there's no gross profit production ramp up chart or tools or spreadsheets. It, it, it's sort of like, well, let's hire this guy and let's let's sink, throw him in the, the in the water and sink or swim. Do you utilize? Do you advocate? Do you all utilize any kind of uh, ramp up tools, charts, things of that nature to uh, both help you manage them and communicate back to them? Hey, this is where you should be. And, and any any thoughts on that question? Yeah, absolutely. For for every position, we kind of have a North Star, a KPI that that position is held accountable. However, um, our industry or not our industry, our company is a little different. So our, our sellers are also our fillers and account managers. Um, so that could look very different when we hire somebody. They could come into a desk and gross profit or they could be building it from ground up. And so there may be a different path there depending on the person on how they get to that North Star, that KPI. So we've got basically a, a matrix that shows here's what you need to do. You need to get to this number. And if you're not there in three months, then we expect to be seeing this activity. If you're already at that number, we were handed, you know, a desk to you, then we expect to see these things from you. So it gives them a really, really clear idea of both what they need to be doing based on results as well as activity and performance. Mm -hmm. Brandon and Mark, Marshall, any, 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 any thoughts, any additional thoughts on that? Do you all use tools like that? I think visual controls are key and I'm speaking Mark's language right now. I think it's 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 one of those things where um, how, how do we know if we're winning the game or not uh, at this point if if we're if we're not seeing it? And I think uh, even tying it to the financials, the budgets, the everything that we're doing to make sure that everything has a purpose behind it is is definitely something we do as well. So yeah, I agree with Michelle for sure. And I think I think you also have to have internal agreement about that those um, numbers you're talking about, Tom. Right, that graduated scale. Yes. Uh, because oftentimes I'll see companies that, um, uh, so I'll work with the company, I'll go in and I'll say, okay, show me the performance of your sales team. We'll draw a line on the new hires and the people that have been here two years. And and uh, so one company that I work with today has a, a seven months, $70,000 in gross profit cutoff. So if the, if, the, if the sales people have not hit $70,000 in gross profit at seven months, uh, they're, they're supposed to be cut. Well, you go in and you pull the list, and there's four people that have hit that number, have not hit that number and are still there, you know, at 11 months. And I'm like, well, that's not a them problem. That's a you problem. That's that's you weren't aligned on what we were going to do to hold people accountable. And shame on you. You've just blown out payroll now. Right. You already made the decision. You just haven't followed through with it. So I think you got to have alignment and agreement on whatever these numbers are. But you should have your own numbers. Yeah, the, the uh, <clears throat> and, and then and then the culture, right? You're, what you're communicating culturally to yeah. everybody that, well, management says this, but they really don't do anything about it. And, right. uh, that's, that's worse than having something. You're better off just not having anything and, and go that's by right. the pants uh, versus you know, saying you're going to have something. It's occurring to me now that the company that I might be working with is watching the webinar. So if you are, fire those people. Like, get rid of them today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, an engineer friend of mine. You could, the Mark, you could be an you could be an attendee at my president's roundtable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Tom, that uh, an engineer friend of mine used to define uh, the empirical method as flying by the seat of one's pants. Um, <laughs> I always thought that was good. Anyway, third question. 
what are things not to do under any circumstance to accelerate the performance of your new hires? Marshall, thoughts? Yeah, I've got a couple of things. I mean, there's there's a lot of things you can always do to accelerate, but the things I think to not do uh, that we do see a lot of staffers do, adding new team members that are just like everyone else on the team, first and foremost, because they assume that I think that there's going to be additional increase, like there's going to be a, uh, a nonlinear effect on that overall production if we add the same exact duplicate into it. Um, I think that's an, a harder one to place, but the very easy one to look at is do not publicly humiliate or threaten a performer given uh, you know lower performance or something like this. And we, we say that that's obvious, right? But this does happen regularly in government sector, in the private sector, and throughout, even in the not-for-profit area. Uh, we've seen that being used as a tactic. Um, and I don't know that it's ever worked. So certainly, I think that that's if we can cry one thing out, do not do that. Indeed. Michelle? I have a couple of things. I think Mark talked about this earlier, being able to focus on quantity and then move to quality. So I think making sure that you do make that shift at the right time. So don't don't hold your, your new hires back from being accountable to a result. Um, I think that makes you a stronger manager. If they're doing the quantity and they're not getting the result, then you need to step in and step up and start training the skill level there. Um, I think another one is bad business is bad business. So I have seen new hires as well as managers tempted to, to allow people to sell or work on bad business. Um, it's a waste of everybody's time. So just making sure that the business type and the job order is right for your company and that you're not just trying to get them some, some gross profits. Um, and then I think keep it simple. That, that's the other piece. And I think we've, we've learned this um, over the years, but technology is fabulous and processes are amazing and we all need them, but keep it simple for those new hires. What, what is the work that they can do to get results, to add value right away? Um, you can always layer on more training, more processes, more technology down the road. Boy, Michelle, you're, you're uh, back to basics, right? Just keep yeah. just new hires, just focus on the basics, right? It's like teaching yeah. Brandon's the baseball coach here, but uh, teaching teaching them basics: how to how to stand at the plate, how to swing, how, who to yeah. throw the ball to after it comes to you. Yeah. Um, well, before we move on, uh, Brandon, Mark, any thoughts on that particular question? What not to I'll do? Play, I'll play off the baseball thing. I think ultimately, right? I think say what not to do. I think even even when you're you know to your your point, Tom, when you're teaching kids, like you explain, uh, you glove down the technique, but you explain why, right? You and then they, they pick up and you understand, you know, why we're doing. They understand, you know, if I don't, there there's a consequence, or there's, you know, this puts us in a better position to win the game. And I think it's it's so basic to Mel's point. I think we forget those those often. I think, uh, you know, the, uh, to to Marshall's point, understanding the uh, this profile and personality is a huge thing. Also, too, when folks come in to understand maybe what where they can add value, uh, their differences and how you can combine those together. Um, I also think that you know leaders who are bringing folks on have to understand the current situation of their business. So this person can be a, a rock star in an interview and come rolling, but you know you've got a couple branches or a few locations that are uh, pretty on fire at the moment and setting progressive improvement expectations, understanding that it's not going to happen overnight, uh, and really back them through it. Right? You know, you put them on there, put that fire suit on them. You, you got to do that because you know what you set that up for. So you got to make sure that you're there with them along the way. So I think that's key. And and I would I would jump in and say um, make sure the timing's right for those. Don't don't bring somebody on and then stick them with a babysitter. Uh, nobody likes that. So yeah. uh, there's nothing worse than joining a new company, finding out that your boss is actually on a road trip 
or that your laptop's not ready and nobody's ordered you business cards and nobody knows where you're supposed to sit. Uh, that's crap. Like uh, cancel your trip and be with your new hire or put them off two weeks. Uh, don't, don't be a slave yeah. to the HR start cycle. Make sure you start people at the right time and don't neglect them. That's such a bad tone. Yeah, that's I, I had a client, Mark, that hired uh, a, a salesperson and then went went to Europe for three weeks. Yeah. And uh, of course, when she came back, he was gone. What did you expect? Wouldn't you be? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, the next question, uh, Mark, you actually started answering uh, this, so I'm going to ask you to pick it up. Um, and it goes to mentor programs. Are they effective? If so, why? If not? Uh, why not? And and if you think they are effective, what in your view can be done to make them even more effective? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you that I know they're effective. Here's how I know. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a um, I did a time to productivity study on um, hundreds of people in staffing. And so what we we did it by role: salespeople, sales, branch managers, uh, recruiters, you name it. Uh, and what we were looking for was when does the act, the individual feel like they're 100% productive, they're responsible for their own actions. Then we looked at um, how does training play into that? How does uh, having a good boss play into that? How does having a mentor play into that? Here's the deal. Uh, there is just about zero statistical correlation between a person's success and time to productivity and whether or not they completed training. Um, zero, none. So we had some that went off to be great, whether they went through training or not. Um, the number one thing that uh, tied directly to people who were successful uh, and had a direct tie back to their time to productivity was, do I have somebody to call when I have a question? Now, that could be a mentor, um, but it doesn't have to be. So, but I would tell you that a, a well-executed mentor program is probably the most effective thing that you can put in place in an organization. Mm -hmm. Caveat though, um, you as an organization might be inclined to take your best and brightest stars and make them mentors. That may not be the best way to go. Maybe those are the phone a friend people and your mentors are kind of like average. I, you know, that's something you got to work out as an organization, but having someone to call when I have a question right now is the number one thing that correlates to success. Oh, interesting. Hey, so that was the, how many how many people did you have in that study, Mark? Uh, across various roles, about seven hundred. And and uh, was that a report that you uh, you generated or developed or? Well, it's still working on it. It's going to be my like life work, Tom. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'll okay. share it with you, but um, but okay. the right. the numbers are. I mean, it's it's absolutely clear. And uh, by the way. Having a good mentor was also the, um, this is subjectively accredited, but um, if we asked mid-level managers what, what contributed to your promotion, it was, uh, I had a person. Every time, I had a person. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Really I, I have a follow-up, but I want to hear from the other panelists on, on the mentor programs. Michelle? Yeah, I'm with Mark. I think that having a mentor is a necessity. So we're really passionate about it in our organization at every level, um, whether it's a, a mentor, a peer group that they can be a part of. We want to make sure that not only are they getting the support and development from their manager, but they've got peers that they can reach out to and get perspective and say, hey, what did you do when you were here? Um, I'd love to say that myself and my managers are the brightest in our company, but that's not always the case. And so as we, we all put our minds together, I think that's 
where the magic happens. Um, so we facilitate mentorships um, really at every level. So people have peers that they get to know that have had some tenure and success that can give them perspective and advice. They've got potentially um, another manager outside of their manager that's giving them development. Um, we also facilitate peer groups. That way, again, we just have that collaboration. They get ideas out there. Um, and I think the thing that I love about it outside of just the mentorship that happens and the development that happens is it kind of reduces the fear to say, I'm struggling, I need help. So these people are more likely to raise their hand, pick up the phone, call, ask for perspective. And, and to me, that is incredibly impactful to the organization. Hmm. Uh, Marshall, Brandon, feel free, comments? Yeah, I'd love to. I, I think that it's it's one of the one of the greatest systems that can be kind of adopted by any firm. Um, I do see a, an issue though, and sometimes, uh, or oftentimes, I see it being used as an, an additional duty. Um, yeah. And if, if the firm doesn't have any additional resources, whether it be time, money, physical workspace, uh, or working group, something like this, uh, to give to that individual, I don't think it'll have as big of a payout, right? Because that's not an intentional program. Uh, and then finally, I think it benefits really the mentor and the mentee, especially if it is something that's that's outlined well. Um, these performers, you know, they're going to act as, as they're kind of expected to. If you expect them to act poorly, well, they'll probably act that way. Now, our partners um, have suggested that uh, these processes have driven retention among both participants. So that meaning the, um, the of course, the mentor and the ment mentee as well, because that sense of belonging. Um, and then even in certain areas where you have affinity groups or something like this that are aligned to a particular culture, um, those are very important because they have someone that's well similar to them in a different space, different area that they can go to and ask that question uh, to many of the points that have already been made, um, reach out and look for that, uh, that, that guidance to the next, uh, next piece or next step that they were with, working on within a project. Hey, uh, Mar Marshall, with your military background, does the military have mentor programs? Uh, yes, but just uh, guilty like any firm. Um, sometimes it works and sometimes it, uh, it's just kind of an additional duty and they just connect them to someone. Uh, but the times they do, and I did read some statistics, I wish I could quote it right now, but um, we have a terrible situation and let's just call it what it is. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, certain mental health concerns and suicide rate among um, soldiers, uh, specifically within the army. And there was actually a reduction just based on one simple thing. Every three to four years, someone moves everything, their family to a new life everywhere. Yeah. And all of a sudden they have one person they're connected to that cares, that has this established program they were more likely to not do that most terrible thing, which is kind of, it's incredible, but I think you can see that even within the private sector, uh, it's an incredible resource to have, maybe not as profound of an effect, but maybe sometimes that does happen here too, right? Everyone's uh, kind of uh, got, got concerns and problems. Yeah. Great, a great, great, great point. And uh, one of the one of the things I love about these panel cats, just getting outside of the staffing industry, get perspective from other industries and how they do things, uh, because it's uh, it, it, these things work tried tried and true. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, next question. Let's move on to training. How do you train new hires, or any best practices you can recommend? And I should. Uh, make the point here that uh, we're moving through these questions so efficiently. I think we're going to have time for all four of you to weigh in on this and the last question and probably the ones we get to the Q&A. So uh, again, training. Uh, Marshall, let me go to you first on that because I know that's really important to, to your work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And it kind of dives into other areas. We're, we're, we've really hit on this in a lot of places, I think. But First and foremost, it's it's a data kind of a, a response-driven situation. Take a hard look at your training um, and a sober look at that. Uh, what does that program look like? You know, ensure that it can answer that questions like, uh, is this effective? 
Um, are there systems in place uh, for those that will be trained? And of course, is this just a system for the sake of having a system? And that's, that's not effective, right? Um, and then also look at who's going to be doing the training. Um, are they appropriate agents of, of a particular firm's culture that you want to maintain, right? They may have their own culture that you may not want to maintain. Uh, is it, uh, are they successful practitioners of the, of the system, of the, of the, the practice that they're doing? Um, and then finally, do they want to train or mentor others? I think that's a pretty dramatic piece. Is it just for promotion? Is it just for something else? Is there a real want and interest in it? Uh, and then finally, take the time to train. Um, you know, so after more than uh, 18 months of the, the we call the big quit, the, the great resignation, right? Uh, firms yeah. are understaffed and uh, our partners are, no one on this call or on this, on this line is, is, this is not a unique situation, right? We're desperately seeking new hires in some cases. Uh, now, although it may be easy to just take that hire and put them into their day-to-day -day activities, although there may be some fantastic training potential there, it can't be absent of that training piece. Respect that individual show, showcase their value and your interest in them by, by actually establishing the training and put a real cost or, or value to that training to them. Uh, to ensure it happens and it gets taken care of versus saying, we don't have the staff, so let's go ahead and put them right behind the, the firing line, right? Uh, and, and get them going immediately versus uh, let's do our due diligence, let's put in the time. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit more effort for those on staff that are doing the day-to-day -day operations allow them to have that opportunity. So uh, to, to recap, yeah, the training is important. You've got to do it, right? It's got to be established. Uh, it's got to make sense. And then finally, I think it's important to determine or rather decide who's going to be doing the training uh, individually. Hey, Mar Marshall, quick question. Uh, uh, some of my clients have these, uh, you go through a module and then you get tested on that module. Uh, the, the, do, you, do you find that effective? The uh, doing the training and then testing the uh, testing. That's probably a bad word, but uh, certifying that they actually understand how to use the database, how to make a sales call, how to uh, whatever. So no, good question. So independently within my own consulting uh, and academically, and as well as within the government, my area has been very much in curriculum development and all things data and in responses to those things. So also a Six Sigma enjoyer of that area too, right, Mark? But so I'm going to say that First and foremost, as a curriculum, you know, kind of designer, I want to know what the learner does best. So that may, in fact, work very well with some. So I don't want to just negate that and just say, no, that's not a good, not a good strategy to start with that module uh, step kind of system, as it may be a, a fantastic approach for some individuals. I want to determine how they learn first uh, and then approach them that way. Uh, if there is, of course, a system requirement because of regulations or insurance purposes, by all means, right? Take care of business. That makes sense. Um, but I would like to test them at their ability to learn um, and then and then kind of move mm -hmm. forward. Does that answer your question? I definitely don't want to dance around it and say, I don't like that because that's probably where I'd start normally, but um, I do want to say that it, it matters most about the learner. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, no, good good thoughts. Brand, Brandon, what about you on training? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with anything is, uh, you know, clean input equals uh, clean output, right? And I think uh, when it comes down to whether we're talking about data or we're talking about training, you're going to get what you, uh, what you did, <laughs> what you didn't do. And I think that's, uh, that's huge. And I think uh, to Marshall's point, there are um, so many different ways uh, that you could approach this from that perspective. I mean, we, we have everything from your, you know, again, some of the lean principles that Mark plays into, like it's, you know, the, the, the further down the chain you have down to even hourly placement person who's literally, you know, you're hiring for a season for a few weeks, 
and they've got to embrace and embody your goals of the frontline employee. How, how do you get them up to speed within well, a few days, but also not only just the, the the widget click button, click this, click that path, but also, you know, the scripting and, the, and the, to make sure, of course, they're providing that customer service and value. I think each role in each group, back to Michelle earlier, uh, has specific KPIs, but I think they also have individual leader standard work. Uh, what do I do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly? If you're a leader of people, you know, what are the things I should be inspecting? We give each of our, our, our team members it's basically like an open book test. Like here's here, here, here's the gift. If you, if, you, if you hold yourself accountable to this and you drive good habits, uh, you're going to see good output come from that. Uh, it's not easy. If it was if it was that easy, it would be rock and rolling across the board and it'd be very simple. But it's 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 one of those things where you have to drive it and, and you have to shine that mirror kind of on folks to make sure that they see blind spots and they see what's going on. As far as the method, I think, uh, you know, sometimes we have a, a, a lighter version of, of a training during a certain time. It doesn't mean that you're cutting corners, but it's providing more of that uh, lower skill, no skill items. So that way you're focusing on Pareto principle style, the main things that they're going to touch during that time versus this big complex thing that they may only see 40% of that, 10% of the, of the entire year. So really focus on what matters, uh, what's the most important for those roles and move forward. Mark, I know you're itching to answer this question. <laughs> no, pass. No, I'm kidding. I'm playing. I get a couple, <laughs> I get a couple things. Um, first off, uh, so I stole my training methodology from the army. So I'll share it with you. Uh, it goes like this. Tell me, show me, let me coach me. Um, I know it. I know whatever. it. So those, and if you break that down, that covers comprehension. That's the tell me, show me and application. Let me coach me. Right. Uh, that's how that breaks down. So what you asked about testing earlier, Tom, that's fine for comprehension. If, if a person responds to that, that's cool, but it always has to, whatever you train has to be both comprehension and application if you want it to stick. So where I see people shortcutting is they try to put all of it in comprehension and hope that's good enough. And it's, it's never going to be, I don't, I don't care what learning style you are. It's never going to be good enough. You've got to have the application side. So that's, that's one thing. Here's the other thing that I would say about training is um, you have to know when it's done. You have to know when training's over and you have to say it training's over for you. Now we're moving you. You're now responsible for your own actions. You know, that, that study that I told you about, um, we asked all of the branch manager participants, when, when did you think training was done? The average response was 6.2 months. We asked the same question to their managers. Guess what the response was? Yes, four months, four months. Wow. Okay, so now we have a two, two, point, a two point something month gap where the trainee thinks they're still in training. The manager thinks they're completely done. Guess in the, in the first year, if turnover happens in the first year, guess where the majority of it happens? between months four and month six. Is that really right? So we yeah. have to know what the point is, we got to know when training's done. You have to agree that you're out of training now, you're responsible for your own actions, get to work, produce something. What's the, now what's the tell me, show me. Uh, tell me, show me, let me coach me. Um, hey, quick, quick follow-up question, videos. Uh, I'm a big fan. Um, I use them on myself actually to to uh, to help train myself to do the new new skills and things like that. Uh, and there are a lot of great companies out there that you can videotape uh, a call and and then and then you can watch yourself if you're training sales reps or recruiters uh, against the other new trainees. Are uh, yes, no? Are you big? Are you are are you uh, uh, an advocate of, of using videos in training? Yeah. Yep, yeah. Michelle. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have training matrices for every position and, you know, all the documents and forms and processes, but included with that is a video as well that they can watch. Um, and then what we've also done are those standard trainings. We've put them on a calendar. So there's a monthly reoccurring training session that we can bring a group together. So you can watch the video if you need it two weeks before it's on the calendar and then later, or if it fits for your schedule, you can be a part of the group training live. Um, so we love videos. We've got an LMS. I think that's just one way of learning, but we also love the, the group trainings where they can actually collaborate and there's Q&A. Um, and then we all know we need a good document and process and form. So I, I, I should ask because you all are coming from big companies. Uh, but if you're a small company between that, whatever, between that five and 20 million in revenue, uh, uh, LMS, so learning management system, Michelle just mentioned. Uh, if you're five to 15, five to 20 million, like how, how do you, and you're not going to afford, or you're not going to buy a, a, an LMS system. How do you bridge that gap or, uh, how do you handle that challenge? We didn't have an LMS until I think we were probably 75 million. So, so, what, what, so what did you do prior to that? Yeah, it was really, um, it was about having the training matrix. And this is one thing that I'm, I'm passionate about. You got to have some structure and organization, but that is not the end. That is not the strategy. So we have all of our managers before a new hire comes on board. You've got to be able to tweak and fit in where you're going to do that practical application. You know, is, is their situation a little different where you're going to train them on something earlier? So we don't say, here's your, your matrix. This is your path to success, right? There's intentional um, scheduling and organization and changes in that matrix. And so that's what we did was we, we gave our managers the tools um, and there were videos, there were documents. We focused a ton on making sure our managers were good trainers versus just having trainers in the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that allowed us to get by without the LMS for, for quite a while. But I, I do love the LMS now, so. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I'm trying to help the, anybody that's watching this, yep. that's coming from a smaller, it, it's, a, it's a true challenge. Have, have you heard the term micro training? Yeah, or uh, advocate of micro training, Marshall and Brandon. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you do it, Mark? If again, I, I own a small business. How do I do micro training? Listen, uh, we're in the world of TikTok, right? All you need is a three minute video. <laughs> How much can you get out of it? A three minute video, a ton. Record a sales. It doesn't have to be over engineered. Record a sales call. Uh, you know, do a couple uh, role play sales calls. It. Uh, it you don't have to overcomplicate it. Micro training is is how people are consuming all information now. That's how mm -hmm. we micro is how we get our news. It's how we're getting right. everything these days. I like it. I like and it. And the more likely you have to start somewhere, right? Right. It's I've got trainings on the LMS where I'm like, oh, hey, that was me 10 years ago. Hey, baby, <laughs> but it's still <laughs> there, and you decide when and how you need to update. Yeah. And with the shorter the shorter volume of stuff that's easier for them to consume too they're more likely to push play on a two minute video versus a, a series of, of eight hours right uh, for some sort of certificate at the end uh, one thing that i've noticed that i've heard partners talk more and more about is internalizing that training even for very small firms right and i think to michelle's point find the trainer make sure this individual is a good instructor they may not be the best practitioner at their at their but make sure they're a good instructor first and then um, incentivize them through have a team come in do the video do this this piece of it and i'm also hearing that of course that that's also going to help with retention because now i'm a, a valuable member of this team right i'm doing these things my face is now the the face of training here um, and there's of course a whole host of, of individual firms will come in and assist you with that for very little money 
Uh, but that's a way that I think they could internalize it, have their own team members doing it, and of course, focus on those more micro, even 30, 40 second uh, kind of training yeah, clips yeah. on how to do this next step. And, 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 and we all know that our high performing super A type personalities make our best trainers. <laughs> just kidding. For those on the listening, just kidding. <laughs> so also goes to the same thing as far as mentors, you know, as somebody said, I think it might've been Mark that it's not always your top performers who are your best mentors. They get sort of in that same spirit. So the last question before we go to the Q&A, and again, thank you, panel, for being so pithy. Um, so the last question, what do you do to create a culture that accelerates performance on new hires? And, and this, the, the culture is, the, is what we're after in this question. You want, let, let's start with Brandon. Sure. I, I think for, for our organization, it's really kind of four cornerstone commitments that we, we bring everybody from, from day one into. Uh, and again, we even talk about, and again, you hear me going back to the interview process. It's it's really talking about it from the upfront piece and, and, and following through on it. And that's starting with attitude. That's the one thing you can change very quickly. You know, that's the thing you own as a person from an accountability perspective, which leads us into personal accountability, understanding, you know, what you're expected for and, and to do on a regular basis, what you're expected to assist others with, uh, how you're supposed to hold yourself, how, how we hold each other accountable, uh, not this artificial harmony. Like we, we debate, we embrace debate, but we channel it the right way. Um, the perseverance piece that we're pushing through, we're making sure, you know, continuous improvement model, um, not letting perfection by progress and then have it. And I heard Mark said that word earlier. It's huge, right? It's, 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 it's how do we make sure that we have good habits, right habits. And I think from a culture standpoint, especially if you've been, that's the tough one, right? Uh, you can have a positive attitude about it, but it's changing some of the frame. And some of that means sometimes uh, a change in, in the employees that you have there. Sometimes it means a, a change that happens in a movement from that perspective. But uh, I think it really comes down to putting tangible things around these elements, and these programs, um, and to, to walk it. And I think that's so simple and obvious, but uh, it can't just be a top-down thing. It has to start with uh, your, your, your leaders all the way up to your front line. Yeah. Uh, Marshall, by the way, you used uh, uh, in, in, in another question, the word belonging. Uh, how do you define that and how do you create that as far as building a culture of belonging? Yeah, sure. That's a really interesting question. As I've, I've recently heard some folks on exit interviews say that when they had that individual leave, they said, I didn't feel like I belonged. What a heartbreak, right? Um, mm. And so to, to define it, God, that's got to be the most difficult question. Thank you for asking me. Uh, but I think that it's it's the sense that I have some sort of uh, connection with these individuals, right, with the the firm. And I don't mean just the the colors on the, on the banner walking in the front door. I mean, what does that mission, what does that strategic mission statement state? And does it actually resonate? Does it say something to me or was it a room full of individuals with a whiteboard and just having a good time? Uh, does it really speak to me and the product and the things that I'm, I'm making tomorrow? Um, and if I don't feel that strong connection, um, I don't think that the the sense of belonging is is going to necessarily be there. Mm. Uh, Brandon, it looks like you raised your hand. Yeah, it's just to add to that, I think the belonging word is is is, is key. Um, we have all the four B's of leadership. You've got basics, which is again that those first 30, 60 days, you've got backing, which is ultimately how they feel their manager is being there for them and the supporting cast. 
And then there's the word belonging, to Marshall's point. It's, you know, are, are you being uh, added to or included to uh, the ability to be able to train other folks or empowered to do some different projects, initiatives? You feel part of the culture. You're not just, you understand this is an individual contributor, but you, you play into it. And the last word we use is becoming. So what, where, where am I going next? What's the succession planning? What's my career path? And, and that's kind of how we've played that kind of pyramid uh, at our organization. And I think your point, Marshall, it's, it's huge. And it's hard to define sometimes, but at the end, it's, it's truly, they want to be a part of something. And I think we've, uh, we've got to be able to connect those dots. So I wanted to add that for sure. Yeah, uh, Mark and Michelle, maybe you could bring us home on this question, creating a culture before we get to the q and I think we might have a, a, a time for one Q&A question. Yeah, I think for us, um, you know, we, we hire and fire based on our mission and values. That's super important. So I've had top performers who don't live the values, who don't care about the mission, and they're out because they were actually toxic and hurting the organization in a greater way. Um, so our, our mission is success stories created daily, and the business that we're in is all about people. So if you do not care about our talent, you do not care about our clients, you can't be here for us and so we can train you we can develop you we can support you but you have to have that passion you have to truly care and so anything that we can do to tie our conversations back to the success stories they're creating for others and to let them know that they're winning i think for us that's been how we can really drive performance and really have that culture absorbed by everybody great uh mark you get the last word on this yeah i, I would say um I guess a, an admonition: be careful with the work from home thing. Uh, you know, as you're mm -hmm. as you're trying to create culture, working from home makes it really hard. Uh, so just be careful. It's it's here and it's here to stay, and it's the right thing for many many roles. But there's a period of time when a person's acclimating to a new culture. Um, you got to get them acclimated first, and then give them all of the freedoms that they need to success, be successful, and flourish. But take that time. Uh, really manage that when they first start out. Great. Thank you. Now to the Q&A uh, part of this panel cast. Um, a lot of great questions posted in the chat. Thanks so much for everybody uh, attending and putting up those good questions. Um, so let me ask uh, the panel, I'll just go around the horn pretty quickly in the time remaining. How long do you give a new hire before you make the go, no-go decision on their employment? Mark? Um, not long it's really every 30 days maybe I, I don't know i'm trying to broad audience here but if um uh if someone i'll, I'll know in the first 90 days whether they're going to cut it or not and if there's any doubt during that period because like i say that's the honeymoon period right so if there's any doubt during that period it's it's not going to work uh mm. six months at the latest yeah michelle um, yeah, I don't have a specific date. So we do weekly one-on-ones and performance check-ins monthly. But for me, it's more about, are they doing the things in their control? So I may want them to get a result, but the things they can control are showing up to work, raising their hand, asking for help. Um, if the work is there and the attitude is there, then we're gonna we're gonna work through till 90 days, probably like Mark said. Um, but if that's not there in the first two weeks, then you might be gone then. Brandon? Coach, coach change. I mean, you get two, two misses and then you're gone. It just means ultimately in that first 90, uh, you can really understand if they're a culture fit and are they going to, you know, uphold the values and to Michelle's point, hit the goals they're looking for. So that's what I would say. Marshall? Yeah, I'm going to cheat and say it depends, right? But I mean, if, if there's not a system in place, right, there's got to, it has to be a system in place. Um, these particular, you know, things have to be met. And without those, there's some certain qualitative um, 
indicators, variables that I can put into here to say these will allow some sort of extension, or maybe they subtract from it. You don't even get to that third strike. But ultimately, to Brandon, I know you're going to love this. It's in the interview. Uh, so often we pull the trigger because, man, I just need a warm body right now. We are desperate. Um, is it worth the pain and the money, right? If it were my money, if it, is it worth the pain, though, for sure, because it's your pain later to have and to hire uh, versus to hold off and just sweat it out until you find the right fit, not the perfect, but the right fit for this position for this project. Great, great, uh, great point to end this on as we near one o'clock mark. I want to thank you, panel. That was excellent as advertised. Um, and thanks to everyone for joining us today to discuss accelerating performance of your new hires. And uh, Tom, I know you wanted to say several words in closing. Yeah, just uh, I want to thank the panelists because you guys have given me uh, uh, content for my next seven blogs. <laughs> <laughs> gosh, if you haven't read The Alliance by Reed Hoffman, oh my gosh, it's it's so, I, his book just keep kept coming up in my head. The Alliance by Reed Hoffman. He's the guy that that, uh, that built uh, LinkedIn. But uh, geez, I love that idea about FaceTime with the client right off the bat. You know, get them doing something that they really enjoy. Uh, a lot of good tactical things. Tools, ramp up charts, have them, uh, do them. Uh, love that. Uh, love the, uh, what Marshall had said about do not humiliate publicly. And, and yet it happens all the time. Uh, and mentor, gosh, I, I can't wait for the study to come out, Mark. Uh, uh, mentors, have them. I know they work. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Uh, tell me, training, as simple as tell me, show me, let me, coach me. I love it. Uh, yeah. And really some great, uh, any, size, any size staffing company on this call is going to be walking away with some great ideas, uh, Charles. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Anyway, that wraps today's panel cast up, and uh, this will be available later this week for anyone wanting to relive the experience or share it. I want to close by thanking Essential Staff Care for their sponsorship of the series, Staffing in Sync, conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues. Produced, of course, by SyncStream, providers of ACA, ERC, and WOTC compliance automation and expertise for the staffing industry. Please join us next month for an equally lively panel discussion on building a culture of engagement. Thanks for joining us. See you soon. Thanks, everyone.